Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast with me, your host, Patrick Fox. This podcast is for the guys out there who question the role that alcohol plays in their lives, men who want to stop drinking and don't know where to go or how to start. We're going to cover all of that and more. Let's go. Hi guys, and welcome to episode 44 of the Alcohol Rethink Podcast. Today I'm joined by Shannon Bryant. Shannon is a certified life coach and host of the podcast called Your Top Self. As an adult child of an alcoholic, she's got a unique experience that she's going to share with us today about growing up and in that kind of environment. I was lucky enough to feature as a guest on her podcast recently, and now I'm delighted to welcome Shannon. Hello, Shannon. Welcome to the show. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having me and letting me share my story. You're absolutely welcome. I think it's a really powerful story to share, right? It's about looking at this from all different perspectives, right? Like we get to see different ways of looking at it can bring up new thoughts, new choices, new decisions that we all get to make from it as well. So I think it's important to have that kind of spectrum it's like, I don't know why this is coming up. It's like, a, you know, flies or spiders, they can see in like lots of different ways, right? And yeah. I think that's important, you know, especially as coaches that we're able to help those that we work with to see things from different perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So <laughs> now my little fly and spider analogy is over. <laughs> I'd love for you to just give us a little bit more details, firstly about what you do as a coach I think that'd be really great to know and then we can move on and talk about what it was like being a or being an adult child of an alcoholic sure so I am a certified life coach I also do some corporate training but um I'm a certified life coach I mostly focus on increasing those who are struggling with low feelings of self-worth low confidence and then I am one of the few who have a practice that focuses on jealousy, jealousy in relationships. And all of those things are really behaviors and emotions that come up uh, often from growing up with a dysfunctional family or in a dysfunctional family um, and having some of that childhood trauma. Yeah, right. I was going to ask you about that, just noticing the correlation between what you do and how we grow up when we're growing up and just those different types of environments so let's just kind of speak to your own personal experience now so what was it like for you growing up as a child sure well my father was the alcoholic in the family and you know there were certainly times where it got very violent uh, with my mom and i have an older brother he's six years older. And he of course would step in at times to protect my mom. And then that violence would turn on him. So it was very chaotic. And, you know, I was pretty young at the time when my parents got divorced, I was only 12, but that whole period of time just felt like an entire lifetime because every day was such a struggle and so impactful on my life that, um, you know, for a long period of time, I was really stuck in that time frame, really all the way into my mid to late thirties, early forties is when I really 
started to realize the impact that all of that had on my life. So, you know, it makes it hard even growing up when you're that young and going to school and trying to focus on math and history and things that you're supposed to be learning in school when all you can think of is either what happened the night before or what may happen tonight when you get home. So it's a very, um, it's a hard environment to grow up in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being such a young age is, it requires a great level of trust to be able to talk to it about other people. And I'm guessing that's not, not really an option when you're like six years old. No. And that's the other piece of it. You know, I didn't get to have some of the things that a lot of children grow up having people spend the night and slumber parties and things like that. Um, while I had them on occasion, typically that wasn't the situation, you know, we really didn't want to bring someone in the house and I certainly didn't want to have a friend over. And then my dad comes home drunk and, you know, fights start. And then I've got a friend there. And then same thing with me being able to go and just be a kid and hang out at my friend's house. I was almost too worried to leave. And it was never fun because I was always anxious about what was going on at home, you know, that, that that I'm missing or can't help with. So it makes it tough. Yeah, it is is tough. And, you know, as children, we internalize. Mm -hmm. And as a way to protect ourselves, first and foremost. So what ways did you protect yourself, like as a a six-year-old? And how did that manifest as you grew older? Yeah. Well, one of the, you know, the key things that I think really stuck with me and that caused me a lot of issues in my adulthood, which is why I wanted to focus on it and help other people. Mm. You know, when I was 12 and my um, parents finally got divorced, there was a pretty traumatic event that happened and they finally got divorced. And so my dad, you know, it was the usual typical thing that you hear about. We think he's going to come on the weekend to pick us up and that he doesn't show and it's very sporadic. Well, during this time, because my parents were getting a divorce, my dad started to go to AA and he would constantly tell us, you know, about the new coin that he got and how many days or months it had been. And he picked us up one weekend, me and my younger brother at the time, and he had a beer in between his legs in the car. And I was 12 and I said, that's it. You know, as long as you're drinking, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I, I don't want to go with you. I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to talk to you. And he took that to heart and I didn't speak to him again until I was 25. So even though I was the one that said, I don't want anything to do with you. I was also 12. I didn't, you know, I just knew that I didn't want to be around that anymore but I still felt abandoned. You know, he was choosing this other thing over me. So instead of stopping drinking and being with his family and being a father, he was choosing this other thing. And so, as you mentioned, I internalized that of, well, if my own dad doesn't love me, if my own dad doesn't want to have anything to do with me, who, who, who's going to, certainly I'm not worth having someone else care for me and love me and protect me and, and be able to trust in that. So that all manifested that, you know, low self-esteem and having no confidence. And then ultimately that jealousy in relationships as I struggle through relationships in my adult life. 
Yes, it's. I mean, for a twelve-year-old, that was such a wise thing for you to say. I just want to say, right, like that being able to put that boundary in place is is quite incredible. But absolutely, you know, you're still twelve years old. You're like, yeah. As as twelve-year-olds, we're still we're still childrens in like grown-up boy, uh, still children's brains in grown-up bodies, essentially, right? Like, there's still a lot mm. of development to <laughs> to come. So you felt felt that abandonment. You chose not to drink then. Is that as a result of what happened or or have you or do you drink alcohol? Yeah. So I was never one that said, well, because of this, I'm never going to touch alcohol at all. I've mm-hmm. just never been really one way or the other. I've drank. There were times in my life really struggling that I probably drank certainly more than I should, but it's never been something that I've struggled with, but I think because I'm very aware of it, you know, that one, it could be passed down and I grew up and that's what I saw. Um, so I think I was just really aware of it, but not so much where I feel like I didn't want anything else. I didn't want him to make, to keep making decisions for my life or keep affecting my life. So to say, and I know that some people do, and I think that's fine, but I just didn't want to say because of this, you know, because this happened, well, then I'm never going to do something because I'm afraid to do it. So it's, yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah. So just chose it for you rather than yeah. making circumstances responsible. Right. Right. Nice. And okay. So you felt that uh, abandonment, like as you went into your twenties and thirties, even, when did you start recognizing, oh, okay, so there's something here <laughs> for me to explore? Yeah. Well, you know, I fooled myself growing up thinking this doesn't affect me. Like I'm not speaking to him. He's not in my life. This does not affect me at all. And I'm fine. And I've done fine without a father figure. No big deal. But as I continued to be in relationships and somewhere you know, it certainly was not a healthy relationship or someone that I should be with. But again, that not trusting my own gut, not being able to make decisions or thinking, is this something that everyone would, would not accept? Or is this just me because of the way that I am and the way that I grew up? So I always struggled in relationships, one with either people not treating me the way that I should have been treated or being so afraid that that person was also going to abandon me that I had the jealousy issues, which then of course is unhealthy in a relationship. So when I met my husband, um, almost 14 years ago, and we first started dating, um, all of those, you know, as soon as I knew or started to feel like this was a really good person and a good solid person, and I don't want to lose them. And I care a lot for them. That's when all the jealousy, all the, you know, not feeling worthy came into play. And so we really struggled for several years in our relationship. And then it just got to a point where it's like, I cannot keep doing this. I'm not enjoying life. I'm not enjoying the person that I'm with. And this keeps showing up time and time again. And so then it was, okay, I'm the, I'm the common factor here (laughs) in all of this, whether it was somebody that I should have been with or I shouldn't have, but I'm the common factor and I need to, 
seek help for that. And so I did start to go to therapy on my own. And that was the first time I was ever exposed to what you hear the laundry list um, of these behavior characteristics that children who grew up in a family with an alcoholic parent experience. And when I looked at that laundry list of like 14 things, it's like, oh my gosh, I have like you know, 12 of the 14 things on the list. But that really opened my eyes to go, I didn't even know this was a thing. I just thought I'm the way that I am and I'm always going to be this way. And then I realized I, that's not the case. I don't have to be. Nice. Not to put you on the spot, but you know, what were some of those things on the laundry list? Oh gosh. So difficulty with intimate relationships, yeah. afraid of authority figures. I always had that teachers, um, male figures, especially, um, always scared, nervous. Um, certainly that we feel like we attract that. So attracting alcoholics or other people who are not going to be there for you or that are not available to you. Um, I did that a lot. Um, really denying or minimizing your feelings of what mm. happened. And I did that for many years. You know, I thought I don't need a dad. He wasn't there to teach me how to drive. And, you know, when I was dating guys to show me how I should be treated, he wasn't there for any of that. And I felt like that it didn't matter. I was okay. So <laughs> those are just a few, Patrick. I go yeah, on. And on. <laughs> no, I, I just think it's, it's good for our listeners, like just to be aware, you know, like they're, Yes, these ones apply to you, but they're kind of yeah. universal as we're seeing in this laundry list that mm -hmm. through the therapy that you had. And it's so true, isn't it? That we, and again, it's all coming from that like self-preservation, like wanting to protect yourself. I'm fine. I didn't need this. But back here <laughs> in the unconscious mind, obviously no one can see me doing this, but I'm pointing at the back <laughs> of my head. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. For sure. And it's amazing to, when you start to realize the things that you did as a child, when you're in that protect protective mode and the, the stories that you start telling yourself. And, um, so yeah, that it's, it's amazing what the brain can do to help you in survival situations. But then also, unfortunately that becomes what your brain knows and what you're used to doing. And so then it carries through the rest of your, you know, into your adulthood when now you probably don't need it anymore. Yeah. And that's it. And so, you know, when people find themselves triggered in some of those things where you're saying around like male being around men, like I, I had that as well, right? Like it's resonating with me as you were saying it. It's like, yeah, I've always kind of, uh, not always not now but I had inferiority to being around other guys especially older guys right like when I would go networking I'd always want to be with the table of women versus the table of guys <laughs> and uh, interesting, possibly yeah, yeah right like, and possibly that's kind of like playing out there as well mm -hmm. and so yeah having or recognizing this kind of response that we have it's like that nervous system is being activated and it, it thinks you're in the past. Like it yeah. thinks you're in danger. Like, do you want to speak to that for a moment? Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's the piece that unfortunately, until you 
start to understand these things, that's going to continue to happen. And you're not really sure why. So you're missing opportunities. As you said, you, you probably had a great networking opportunity with the other men in the room and not really understanding why that's the case. Um, so there are certainly a lot of things. One, you know, when we, um, we're people pleasers, that's sort of the other piece, because if I'm not doing for someone else, that's then I'm not worthy. Like that's how I'm trying to show my worthiness by doing and running myself ragged or always being the one, um, to, to get things done and really not having that partnership for the longest time. I felt like, well, that's just because I really love them and I really care about them. And I love doing these things. That's not true. It was in fact, that that's the only way that I felt like I was worthy of their love. And so overdoing all of those things. So it, it shows up so many different ways. Yes. Looking for external validation is like, well, if I do all of these things for all of these people, then they're going to like me. And if people like me, I get to like myself, but it's so disempowering because as you can just see from that, like you're reliant on other people for how you want to feel. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly I did that in relationships and that was the other piece. Then I'm, I'm constantly needing, as you said, that validation from them and when you're not getting it, it makes you feel bad about yourself. Like why, why do they not care about me in that way? Why do they not love me in that way? And this isn't so much coaching related, but like the inner child work that they do in therapy, I think is really, really helpful because it allows you to go back to that time to meet that six-year-old you. Mm-hmm. So like, under, like have compassion and understanding for how she's trying to protect you now, like how she's looking to be liked, because for her, it literally meant like life or death, or it, it yeah. felt like it at that time. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes that's certainly the case. And that is a thing that we have to, and certainly I had to do a lot of is really one being thankful for that inner child that was helping me through all of that traumatic time, but said, you know, but in today, I don't need, you know, thank you for what you've done. I got it now, you know? And I think that that's the biggest, uh, one of the biggest turning points is to realize that that's still happening and that there's still that protection mode that's going on. Yeah. It's almost just like you're reconciling your past with your present, you know? It's like, yeah. oh, we can, we can like complete this for ourselves. And so then when I work with my clients and they're, they're drinking, often it's as a result because they have unresolved stuff to deal with from when they were much younger, right? Like maybe they had parents of alcoholics and they're kind of repeating the pattern, which is what I did in, in my life as well. And actually, that's something that we could talk about, right? It's like how we repeat patterns in mm-hmm. life. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you say that I was looking through some pictures, um, as I first started the life coaching piece and really trying to put some stuff together. And I found a picture of me and I probably was 10 or 11 at the time, um, when things were probably the worst, you know, right towards the end. And 
it's a picture of me and my older brother and my mom. And in our house, of course, you know, my dad had the full bar set up and (laughs) had all of that. And I have as a 10 year old, a Pabst blue ribbon beer in my hand. That must've been what he drank, uh, mimicking him. And when I first saw it, I kind of chuckled like, you know, that's weird. But then I went right back to exactly how I felt at that place. And it made me really sad for a couple of reasons. One of just that that was what I was dealing with at the time. And that was my role model and that that's what I was being shown that this is how life is. This is what you do. This is what all people do. Um, but then too, also kind of feeling sad for my dad because of his disease. And I'm sure that, you know, no one wants to look back on their life and that's the way that they're portrayed by a 10 year old kid. Um, and you know, we were, and even in the picture, we're kind of chuckling and laughing, but again, that was part of that protection mode. So I certainly know what you mean by, you know, following those footsteps or kind of mimicking that. Yeah. It just shows how conditioned influence we can be from such a young age. And Mm -hmm. I was looking through some pictures with my mom fairly recently, like through my like early teens. And it was so strange or not really strange, but to see like how many shirts, t-shirts I'd be wearing, but had uh, logos of beer alcohol yeah yeah like all stuff that had come from a pub and that had been passed down to me as a child I was like wow that is fascinating right like it's just so young like I'm just being told that this is okay this is okay yeah yeah Absolutely. also as well for your your dad and, and and for anyone who drinks who's got kids is like they're dealing with whatever's going on in their life as well and for whatever reason they think that alcohol is that solution so I think mm-hmm. you know even though <laughs> I mean, my personal experience, like being brought up around an alcoholic wasn't great, but it's led me to where I am now. Like I've got to learn about who I am as a person. I think it's so important to remember like whatever happens in our lives happens for a reason. Yeah. Well, and so when my dad and I started talking and we just started speaking again, maybe the last five years. And it was a very slow, yeah, it was a very slow process. And my family kept encouraging me to have a relationship with him. And I just wasn't ready up until that point. But finally, I thought as part of this, as part of just finishing, um, understanding all this, maybe I do need to speak with him. Our first conversations didn't go very well because all I was interested in is he needs to apologize to me for how much, you know, I was just hammering him. And as you know, you know, often that apology doesn't come and it certainly didn't in the beginning. And as we kept talking, so I let that go like, okay, I'm not going to seek this apology from him. Let me maybe just have a conversation, just general conversations. And that led to him then explaining and and talking about his past. His father was an alcoholic. There was some abuse in his childhood. My parents were extremely young when they got married and my mom was pregnant and he was a young man and now having all this responsibility. So when you do kind of understand, as you said, it doesn't make it 
better or excuse it, but certainly then you can also try, you know, kind of understand like, okay, I see where, what was happening in their life that then led them to drink. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of just like make space for their humanness, like realizing they weren't like doing it because of you, but like they were just having their own human experience and trying to manage it in the best way that they could or knew how. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why the work that we're both doing is so powerful, right? Because like the more aware we can become of our own actions and the consequences that that can have in, especially like, kids lives it's Mm -hmm. absolutely huge yeah yeah and that's oftentimes you know I don't like to talk so much about the violence that happened when my dad was drunk because I don't want people to think well I'm not that way so it's not that bad or well I don't do those things so I'm not affecting my children or people around me because that's only half of it they're certain, like the things that were really long-term or all those behaviors and those things that I picked up and, um, you know, almost like your, your t-shirts advertising it. Those are the things that stuck and really affected my life long-term. So, um, yeah, I think just understanding from their perspective, because even though I wasn't drinking and I wasn't this raging alcoholic in front of my son, I had low self-esteem that I've passed on to him. And, you you know, some of those things that still happened now that he has to start working through. And luckily, you know, he's realized it a bit earlier, but so I wouldn't want to be judged on those things that as I was trying to deal with what happened from my childhood, not maybe being the rest best role model as a parent during that time. Yeah. And that's it. (laughs) I think my mom often tells me is like, whatever whatever you do as a parent you'll fuck them up (laughs) (laughs) right Right. you know like you could be the most perfect parent in the world and your kids gonna grow up thinking like I'm never gonna be like my mother mom and dad or like you could have like similar things that we had and and not think you're good enough either way right like there's almost no avoiding it but there's (laughs) there's certainly different approaches as to how you want to manage it so how did you go from kind of recognizing you, you had that low self-esteem, low self-worth, all of those different things playing out in that laundry list? Like, how did you begin to, to regulate yourself, like to show yourself that you were safe, like you could create relationships. You didn't have to rely on other people to feel a certain way. Yeah. Um, well, this is part of why I love your 12 week program that I know that you do because awareness, self-awareness is a big piece of that. And I think Mm. your first step and it's where I started too. And I think that's really the first piece of any of it. And we've talked (laughs) about that. Like anytime you're trying to better yourself, um, that self-awareness piece is the best place to start. And what it allowed me to do is understand like, well, wait a second. I've been telling myself this story that my dad doesn't love me. He wants nothing to do with me. So no one else is going to think that I'm worthy of that either. First figuring out that that was my story. Cause I didn't even realize that until I started to look into it and focus on it. And like, why am I behaving this way? So once I knew that, 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 okay, that's the story that I keep telling myself. What's another explanation? what could actually be true. And that is my dad does love me. Um, he has a disease or, you know, in, 
he was struggling himself and his struggles have nothing to do with my own self-worth and who I am. And just knowing that, let me know, okay, then that means I can change it because that's not the truth. The story that I've been telling myself isn't the actual true story. And there's another explanation for it. And it's all of, you know, these things that I talked about. So then I think that took the, the pressure off of almost feeling like, well, this is just who I am. And now I have to find someone that's just going to deal with it, (laughs) you know, which is what I felt like I was doing. So I wasn't with a lot of quality people because I was thinking, well, you know, I have all of these things wrong with me. So if I can find someone that can just put up with it for a bit. And that certainly changed, you know, the way that I viewed myself, the way that I viewed that old story and then what I needed to do in the future. Yeah. So powerful, like just creating that awareness of of what you're telling yourself, you know, you've been telling yourself unconsciously for years and years and years (laughs) and then recognizing, okay, oh, maybe there's a different version to this story available to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing because it kind of works on all kinds of things, you know, just being open to another explanation, another possibility. That's it. Perspective. It's all about perspective. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Amazing. All right, cool. So just before I have a final question, well, I have two questions. So here's my penultimate question is like, do you have anything else that you'd like to offer to any of our listeners? Like anything from your experience that you think might benefit anyone listening today? Um, I think the biggest thing, and this is really my biggest message and why I started the podcast and why I became a life coach, because I spent so many years feeling like there's nothing I can do to change the situation. I'm just the way that I am. That's how I'm always going to be. And so even if someone start, you know, just starting now to be open to looking into some of the things that are happening for you instead of waiting. Um, and I know, you know, sometimes it's people just have to be ready, but I think we get so afraid of, well, I don't want to go into that now. Cause I don't want to deal with it because it, a lot of stuff does come up when you start to like, okay, let me look at this. A lot of stuff does come up and it's a little bit difficult, but on the other side of that, it's so amazing that the sooner you start, I think, um, you know, then the sooner you start to enjoy life. So just start now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it is uncomfortable when you start bringing up all this stuff, but people think like, Oh, if I bring this up, it's going to make me feel bad. But here's the thing. Like you're already feeling bad. You're already like creating stuff in your life that you don't want that doesn't serve you. So mm-hmm. what do you want more of? <laughs> you want to just like get it out there now and work through it or just keep it in the background, just running those scripts. Yeah. I love that you say that because you know, you, you, someone may feel like that for 20 years, yeah. We're talking about maybe even six months to a year of really kind of having to go through and feel those feelings. That's nothing. That's nothing compared to how long you've already been feeling that way. When you say about feelings, like I was thinking 
of, of a lot of things that I've been addicted to in my life. Like I wrote a list the other day and I was quite fascinated because at the time I thought, oh, these are just things that I used to like doing. But really, I was addicted to doing them. And now I'm in this place where I'm addicted to feeling my feelings. Like I just want to understand what's happening in my body. Like I'm, so, I'm becoming so much more in tune with my emotions and like my res- bodily responses. If something happens, I'm like, oh, like my heart has just started racing or oh, my ears are tingling. Or, you know what I mean? Like what a great addiction. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a healthier choice of yeah. things to be addicted to. Yeah. If that's what you're addicted to, I think you're in a good place. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it really is. It's like the crux of everything. Like when we can open up to, to our emotional life, like get into our bodies and out of our heads. Yes. So much more is possible for us. And sometimes like there's a healing process that has to take place in order for us to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's why you always hear journaling being so good because when you're keeping everything just in your head and that constant swirl, it, it feels like you can't get any traction. You're not getting anywhere, but when you put stuff down on paper and you can look at it and you can see things as images, it's, it's a game changer and kind of getting it out from swirling in your head constantly. Yeah, absolutely. It just like loses that power the moment the pen touches the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. All right. So much goodness in this interview. So thank you so much. Before we wrap up though, I'd love to ask you a question and that is, what does it mean to be radically human? What does it mean to be radically human? Um, I think as you were just mentioning a little bit earlier that we all just sort of need to give grace and understanding. And I think that that's the piece when you can get to a point of, okay, I've always thought about it this way, but maybe there is this other thing and maybe they're behaving this way because of some other things. I think that getting it really understanding how humans work and that we all have those feelings and things that we're dealing with instead of just a black and white, you know, look of the world. Lovely. All right, cool. So Shannon, if anybody wants to learn more, get in contact with you, where would they do that? How would they find you? Yeah. So um, they can find me on my website. It's yourtopself.com. I'm on social media, Instagram and Facebook at your top self. Um, and when you're done listening to Patrick's podcast, you can hop over to mine called Top Self. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I highly recommend it. All right, Shannon, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patrick. Cool. And guys, I will see you again soon. Take care and bye-bye. If you want to find out more about working with me and seeing how I can help you stop drinking and start showing up in life the way that you really want, visit patrickjfox.com to find out more or book a free consultation using the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.